the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. Well, let's turn in our Bibles to Psalms 108. Anybody going to help me preach today or is it just going to be me? Come on with it. With it. W-I-D. Come on with it. All right, I'm coming with it. Ain't no width to it. Psalms 108, verse 13. Through God we will do valiantly, for it is He who shall tread down our enemies. Through God we will do valiantly. What does valiantly mean? Are we living valiantly? That means courageous. That means bold. That means mighty. Well, some of you say, well, I don't feel all that bold, or I got this back issue, or I got... We start, we lift, whip out that list of excuses already while we're not living valiantly. Some of us on the naughty list, you know. But it's through God that we do valiantly. See, it's Him that treads down our enemies. All we do is believe. We're not even called to be achievers. We're called to be believers. We're, we're called to believe the things that He says and enforce the victory. All we got to do is walk out in it on His power by faith. Now, I've been watching the Memphis State Tigers since I was a little boy because I grew up in Memphis. Some of y'all get offended when I say Memphis State because they're the University of Memphis now. But to me, they'll always be Memphis State. But I was watching them play football back when they couldn't win a game. And now, the last five years, hey, they've put a program together. They've got new players, new coaches. they got new facilities. They're putting some money into it. They're starting to win. They've been going to bowl games and stuff. How many watched their bowl game, I think it was two weeks ago, when they played Wake Forest? Anybody watched it? What a game. I mean, back and forth, back and forth, and at the end of the game, they both scored touchdowns with like just a few minutes left. And it ended up that Memphis had driven the ball down to the 20-yard line of Wake Forest, only 20 yards away from winning because they were down by three. A touchdown wins it. First down at the 20-yard line. I... I may not have it off a yard or two. I'm just going from memory here. And they got like 15 seconds left. Time to throw two to the end zone and get a touchdown. Win this thing. This is a bowl game. You don't play to a tie in a bowl game. But Memphis runs the ball. He gets stopped. Nine seconds left. They have to call a timeout. I said, why did he run the ball? Next play. I'm thinking, sure, they're going. Even the announcers were saying they need to throw it to the end zone to get a chance to win this thing. And they still got nine seconds. They got a timeout after that. Then they can kick the field goal. Instead of throwing to the end zone, the quarterback gets the ball, goes over there and stands in the middle of the hash marks and downs it so the kicker has a straight kick so they can tie. And I'm thinking to myself, 
That ain't playing to win. That's playing not to lose. And see, what happens is, when you got a program who's got a history of losing, there's a culture of losing. And when it comes down to the stress, and when it comes down to the meat of the matter, when it comes down to the end, and you got a chance to win, oh, I'm just going to play it safe. Well, they snap the ball, the kicker lines up, he looked like he got a little confidence in his eyes, it's like a 32-yarder or something, kicks it right down the middle. Tie game, no. The other team had called timeout and iced him. You ever heard that term, they iced the kicker? That's one of the devil's favorite plays right there. Right when you think you're fixing to do something good, he, he cancels it out. Don't, don't He calls timeout on you. All right, the kicker's like, okay, I can do this again. So they snap it again. He lines it up, kicks it right down the middle. Tie game. Nope. It's a flag laying on the field over there. One of Memphis's players jumped off sides. Pretty important mistake. Okay, so they back him up five yards. Now he's like 38 yards. That's a pretty good long distance now or something. For the tie. And I'm looking at this kicker's eyes. And they're all of a sudden they're looking a little big. And he's like, this is a little bit further. I don't know how to kick two. This ain't fair that I have to be put in this position. And I could tell, I could sense the trepidation. Is that a word? Sometimes words just come to me. I, I don't know what they mean, but I use them. And so I could tell that there was fear rising up. And they snapped the ball and he kicked it. And it went wide right. And Wake Forest wins. Playing to lose never wins. Playing not to lose never wins. You're just playing not to win. There's only one, one equation that works, and that's playing to win. Believing. Being valiant. Understanding that God goes before you. Giving it everything. Today's message is part four in our series we've been on called Running to Win. Today's message is entitled, A Winning Attitude. If you're writing that down on your sheets, A Winning Attitude. I looked up the word attitude because, like I said, I don't know what anything means. Attitude means a settled way of thinking or feeling about someone or something. So your attitude is developed by the way you think about. So I have settled that in my mind. That's the way it is. It's a settled way of thinking or feeling, and it affects the way you feel, about someone or something. And it goes on to say, typically one that is reflected in a person's behavior. So the way you think, oh, I've settled that in my heart. I've got my attitude about that certain situation. And that attitude is reflected in what I do, because as he is in his as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. That's what he's going to do. So we need to develop a winning attitude, because if we've got a play and not to lose attitude, we're going to lose. It's going to be reflected in how we behave. Am I losing anybody here? I've confused myself. 
Turn to Numbers 13. Numbers chapter 13, towards the beginning of the Bible. It's in the Old Testament. We're going to pick up here. This is the story. God has delivered the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. They were in bondage, in captivity. Horrible conditions. God heard their moaning and their crying. And he came and he sent a deliverer, Moses. And Moses, by the power of God, did ten wondrous signs to deliver them out of their slavery. They finally, Pharaoh's finally let them people go. <laughs> Y'all get out of here. Take our stuff with you. Just go. Then he changed his mind and caught them at the Red Sea. And then God parted the Red Sea and they walked over on dry ground. They went over across the other side out into the wilderness. Didn't have anything to eat. About two million people out there. And God provided manna from heaven. When they were thirsty, God provided water from a rock. God met their needs. He traveled with them. They heard his voice from heaven. They saw the thunder on the clouds. He traveled with them by a cloud by day and a fire by night. They could sense his presence in the tent of meeting. God did everything he could to reveal his power and his authority and his ability to deliver. And then God tells them, all right, we're right up against the Jordan here. The promised land where I'm taking you is right across that little, little river. It's a little river. It's probably not as wide as, as one of these rows of chairs. Little Jordan. All we got to do is hop over there and win it. You saw the ten miracles. You walk through. I'm, I'm even going to part the Jordan for you. All you got to do is go across. And we pick up the story. They had sent 12 spies over there to confirm God's message that it was a land flowing with milk and honey. You come back and tell the people, get them all excited. It was God's plan. And in Numbers 13, verse 27, we pick it up there. The 12 people went and they came back. And these weren't just any 12 people. These were the leaders of the 12 tribes. God picked the best of the people. And it says, this was their report to Moses. We entered the land you sent us to explore, and it is indeed... A bountiful country. It's a land flowing with milk and honey, just like you said, God. And here's the kind of fruit it produces. Now, they had picked one cluster of grapes from the promised land, and it was so heavy they had to tie it to a pole, and two men had to carry it. And they picked up that cluster of grapes, and they showed the people. Now, you understand all two million people are gathered around listening to this report that these 12 have come back. They're anxious to hear that we're going into the promised land. There's a buzz. And they're saying, yeah, it is this beautiful land. It is flowing with milk and honey. Look at these grapes. Look at this fruit. And then in verse 28, it says, but. Three little letters that turn the whole scenario. But. Usually about now, I tell you to look at your neighbor and tell them to get your butt out the way. But I've used that joke so many times. But I still said it, so I got it in there. But, they said, the people living there are powerful. And their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. The Amalekites live in the Negev, and the Hittites, and the Jebusites, and the Amorites live in the hill country. The Canaanites live along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea and all along the Jordan Valley. About that time, one of the twelve, one who had a little faith, 
named Caleb, he saw the direction this was turning. He, he waved him down. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Where are you going with this? In verse 30, it says, but Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Mo Moses. He said, let's go in at once and take the land. All this talking. What are we sitting there arguing, reasoning things out? That's, that's where a lot of us get in trouble. God tells us to do something, and we want to sit around and reason it till we talk ourselves out of it. Getting our butt in the way. Caleb said, y'all be quiet. Let's go in at once, take the land, he said, and we can certainly conquer it. But the other men, there's that but again, but the other men who had explored the land with him disagreed. We can't go up against them. They're stronger than we are. So they spread a bad report about the land among the Israelites. There's nothing worse, nothing more demoralizing than someone going around spreading bad reports about what we can't do. Don't be that person. If you don't feel like you can do it, let somebody else think they can. So they spread a bad report about the land among the Israelites. They said, the land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who tries to live there. And the people saw we saw were huge. They, we even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. Did we mention that? <laughs> that was one of their spin points because they said that twice. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers. And that's what they thought we were too. And if you go on and... Numbers 14, verse 1 says, Then the whole community began weeping aloud. Their bad report had such a negative impact on the people that they're weeping, wailing. Two million people all of a sudden weeping aloud, and it says they cried all night. I can hear them now. Gloom, despair, nag me on me. Try to get that out of your head. It's contagious. Moaning and complaining is contagious. He says their voices rose in a great chorus of protest against Moses and Aaron. And you know when you complain and you moan and you whine, maybe you're, you're directing it towards your boss or your spouse or your mom or your dad or somebody, but really, you're whining and moaning and complaining against God, ultimately. That's why God hates it so much. They said, if only we had died in Egypt, or even here in the wilderness, they complained. Why is the Lord taking it? Oh, oh, they slipped up and let it out, who they was really complaining about. Why is, it the, why is the Lord taking us to this country only to have us die in battle? See, they're not even willing to fight the battle. They've already conceded. Our wives and our little ones will be carried off as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt? They plotted among themselves, let's choose a new leader and go back to Egypt. They hadn't, they hadn't even crossed the Jordan and they're ready to go back to, they're ready to turn tail and go back to a life of slavery. They're ready to go back to a life of nothing, no hope, nowhere, mundane, never changes, living by the TV guide, working your fingers to the bone, never getting nothing out of this life that God promised. 
Let's do that rather than have to fight. Rather than have to spend a little courage. Rather than having to believe, actually believe this God that we have seen perform these miracles. You see, they had been delivered from the slavery of Egypt, but there was still slavery in their hearts. They were still held captive because they had a losing attitude. They weren't acting valiant because they had already made up their mind that they were losers. And they saw themselves as little grasshoppers. They had a grasshopper mentality. My question is, what does it matter if you are a grasshopper? What if you are a grasshopper? Has God ever asked you to do anything in your own strength? So it doesn't matter if we're grasshoppers. A grasshopper and God can whoop all of us. Y'all ain't preaching real good. God's not happy with us playing not to lose. You know what I'm talking about. Some of you are majoring in playing not to lose. You're playing it safe. God never said, there, there, there. Just stop reaching for greatness and, and settle down over there on the bench in the wilderness. You'll be okay. Don't want, to, want you to spend any energy. Don't want you to take any risk. We just, it's all about your comfort. You just, there, there. You'll be okay over there. Has God ever said that? Or is, or is the God that... I know the God that I serve is always pushing me to more, better, greatness. I don't know. Maybe we're not serving the same God. I don't know. Most people live their lives not to lose. And you, they don't even realize it. What do you mean, Pastor? What What do you mean living your... Well, give me a practical example. Okay. Let me think of one. Living your life. Okay. You know in your heart that you, you got this idea to start this business or pursue this dream or something, but you got this job that's got great benefits. And you, you want to go... Go whole hog for what's in your heart, but you can't. Well, you, 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 I'll do a little bit. I'll try. I'll venture out a little bit, but I'm staying with this benefits. These benefits over here. I've been there. I've done it. I worked at FedEx for 12 years the whole time, try, trying to pay the bills, but be a musician on the side. How many knows musician? If you're gonna make it in the music business, you got to be whole hog. I've done that. What about another example of playing not to lose? God whispers in your ear, go witness to that person. Or God says, pay for that person's meal. Or God says, won't you go tell Cousin Eddie you're sorry about the way you talked to him at Thanksgiving when that political argument y'all got into? Won't you go tell him you're sorry and be the bigger person? And we pretend, oh, I didn't hear none of that. That was, that was the devil. I rebuke you, Satan. Get off me. 
See, we're scared to do what God asks us to do. Boy, it was a struggle to get some of y'all to come out of your shell this morning during worship. Because it's much more dignified if I stand here like this. I'm not moving. I can feel it on the inside, but I'm not moving. Your knees start doing this number here. <laughs> it could be something as simple as as you and your spouse having a little riff and there's some there's an elephant in a room. And you know you should communicate. You know you should be the one that starts a conversation, y'all should work it out, but it would might cause it's you know, we might get into it. Sparks may fly, so you put it off. You're playing not to lose. But see, winning requires for you to be proactive. If we're going to be the people that God called us to be, we got to ever be moving forward. When there's a situation, we deal with it and we move on. We got to be bigger on the inside. I preached a whole series on bigger on the inside. How would you like to be a politician these days with all the stuff that's thrown at you? Some of them, it caves them, but some of them keep moving towards the agenda. Some of them put all that aside and keep moving forward. And that's the way we got to be. We got to be bigger on the inside despite all the distractions and the obstacles and the hurdles that this world is throwing at us. Fulton Osler said, many of us crucify ourselves between two thieves. Regret for the past and fear of the future. Man, and those regrets, they keep piling up because of this fear of the future. We're afraid. And we say no when we know we should have said yes, and then it turns into a regret. And we crucify ourselves between these two. Regrets from the past and fear of the future. I believe that. But in the Bible says in Romans 8.31, if God is for us, who can be against us? I know it says, if God is for us. And some of you say, well, there you go. He's not for me. No, it explains in some detail before you get to that point that he is for you. And that's not saying if God is for us. It's saying if God is for us. It's a, it's a foregone conclusion. He is for you. And now that we've established that, if God is for you, then who can be against you? Why are we afraid? Did you know that the Bible says, I, I, I can't remember where it's at, but somewhere in there, it says we shall look upon the one who made the nations tremble, meaning the devil, in the end, after it's all over. We're going to look on him and say, this is the one that made the nations tremble? This, this guy is the devil? He just fooled us all this time. He's been bluffing you all this time. Those dreams God put in your heart, you could have done them. But he told you you couldn't. And one day you're going to, I think we're going to do it with tears in his eyes. This is the guy that stopped me. Oh my goodness. Turn to Hebrews 11.6. Anybody getting anything so far? See, we're talking about starting 2019 on the right foot. We're, we're people of faith. 
And I say that by faith. No. Hebrews 11.6. It says, without faith, it is impossible to please Him. And it's talking about God. You just can't make Him happy. He don't like doubt and unbelief. Never, never does He like it. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. you got to believe that he is. you got to know a little something about his character. you got to believe who he is. But you also got to believe that he is going to reward you for diligently seeking him. Now, I looked up diligently. Where did it go? A constant, it's constant in effort to accomplish something. If you're diligent, it's constant in effort to accomplish something. So if you're diligently seeking God, you're constantly putting forth an effort to know Him, to seek Him, to be with Him, to get in that secret place that we went to this morning, to stay in the shadow of the Almighty under the wing. You're constantly diligently seeking Him. And, you, and because you do, you know He is going to reward you. Because that is the reward itself. That is the best reward is to know Him and the power of His resurrection in your life. To know Him, to be in, in His presence is fullness of joy. So in the seeking, you find life itself because He is life. And you find that you are loved. And all the hurt that you've been through and all the pain and, and the people that put you down and they molested you and they, they railroaded you and they lied about you and they talked bad about you and they, they took the promotion that you were supposed to get and, and they under, was underhanded to you. And the parents that you may have had that, that treated you bad and didn't know any better. And all the excuses that we got melt away in the love of God. It don't matter. That's why you're sitting here today. Some of you have been through so much stuff that the average person wouldn't still be around. And you're sitting out there today with a smile on your face because the love of God has got a hold of you. The love of God has transformed you, made you new. It's the love of God. That's why we diligently seek Him. We can, the more we delve into God, the more we find that His love is unending. It's perfect. It's sustaining. Understanding God's love for you changes everything. Oh, the testimonies that you could tell about what His love has done for you. And you may have just only delved in just a little bit. You just may have heard what He did on the cross. And that may be your whole basis for that God loves me. But it was enough. That love was enough to change your eternal destiny alone. And there's more. Oh, how wide, how deep, 
how precious, how tall, how immense the love of God. Yep, in Romans 8, 31, it says, if God is for us, who can be against us? And then it goes on to say in verse 32, since he did not spare his own son, but gave us gave him up for us all, won't he give us everything else? I mean, how much more could he do to prove his love? If he gave his, his son his very best, greater love has no man than this, than he lay down his life for his friends. And Jesus willingly laid down his life for you. He said, no man takes my life from me. They didn't have the power to take. Don't you know I can call down 12 legions of angels? Or I could just speak a word? But I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it up again. Faith. Our faith that we're trying to establish here so that we can walk in the victory, that we can go across, we can live valiantly, works by love. Galatians 5, 6, faith works by love. And as we diligently seek Him, as we delve into Him and discover that love, it builds the faith that we need to overcome. This losing attitude. This playing not to win. Hallelujah! Play it, girl. See, we only need a mustard seed of faith. He said you can move a mountain with a mustard seed of faith. It don't matter if we got little grasshopper faith. That's enough. Just have some faith. Just, just stop saying, I believe, I believe, and then doing everything contrary to what you said you believe. Faith without works is dead. Being alone. You're talking it, but you're not walking it. Who said that? Jesus willingly became a grasshopper. He left his glory in heaven. And he put his little grasshopper self in the hands of his enemies. The Bible says like a sheep before the shearer is dumb, he opened not his mouth. He didn't even make a complaint. He didn't murmur. He didn't complain. He made himself of no reputation. And he gave himself into the hands of his enemies. His vicious, vile, destroying little enemies. And we think, well, how could there be any good come out of that? Because there was faith in it. And there was love in it. And Jesus said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he endured the cross, despising the shame. But in that little grasshopper won the biggest victory of all times. The Bible says because he was willing to go to the lowest parts of the earth, God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue confess to the glory of God that Jesus Christ is Lord. He didn't have to be strong. He didn't have to come as a warrior. He came as a sheep, as a lamb. For the slaughter. But with faith and love, he showed us the biggest victory 
that could ever be won, eternal salvation of all who would come to believe. And you're saying you can't do it. And we hadn't even, the Bible says we haven't even, well, never mind, I can't remember what the Bible says. Could you give me my discipleship, Will? Sometimes scriptures come to me, but they don't. Now, I've showed y'all this wheel a lot of times, and some of you are saying, here we go again. But hold on a second. See, this wheel, it, it puts things in perspective. I like to see things. I like to map things out. I'm a big per vision person. I like to see the whole picture so that I understand where I fit. And this is the, the map of your, your discipleship walk. This is where you're supposed to be going, okay? First, got to know God. I mean, nothing starts without you knowing God. You don't know God, you don't know nothing. You don't know God, you don't know peace. You don't know joy. You don't know success. You don't even know life or light or happiness or anything. Until you start, you got to know God. That's what we're talking about here, delving in, right, to that love, seeking, diligently seeking Him. But once you find Jesus, you begin to find freedom. What, that love automatically begins to break things off of you. Oh, my mind is enlightened. Now I see all these tangled webs that I have weaved and the devil has confused me and led me in all these wrong directions. Now I'm free. Like we sang this morning. You begin to find freedom. The truth will set you free. Of course, it goes on around. Once you get free, you begin to discover purpose. Once you begin to discover purpose, you begin to make a difference in the world. But here's the problem. Most of us, oh, I can't say most of us. Nearly all of us. No. Okay, a lot of us find Jesus. We're sure that we're going to heaven now. We have faith to receive our salvation. And we find some freedom but we don't want to find all the freedom because I like some of the things that I'm in bondage to. I like some of the things that's holding me back. I like playing it safe. I don't like telling people about Jesus. I don't like to come to church on Wednesday. I don't like to do all these things that actually require something of me. I just want the ticket. And so most of us stay between knowing God and finding freedom our whole lives. Never truly finding freedom so that we can begin to discover that there's a purpose for us. Well, I could, I could preach that all day long. But one thing I found awful interesting when I was looking at the parable of the sower in Mark chapter 4. You remember it said the sower went to sow some seed, and the seed was the Word of God, and Jesus explained that the different soils that it fell on was the different hearts of the people. And the first soil that it fell on was the, the pathway and the bird came immediately and took it away. And that was the devil. It stole the seed out of their heart. They couldn't even know God. They didn't get anything. The second seed fell in the shallow, rocky soil. Only sprang up just a little bit and then the sun came and scorched it. It didn't last long. They found a little freedom, but not much. The third kind of soil was the, had the weeds and the thorns and stuff, and, it, and the cares of this world and the, the lust of other things in this world drowned out the things of God, drowned out the voice of God. And so, 
they never discovered their purpose because they were too busy being entangled in the affairs of this life. But then, the final soil was good soil. And when the seed hit that good soil, it says that it planted, it got roots, and it produced 30, 60, 100-fold fruit. Fruit! It began to make a difference. If I were to ask you, what do you want for your life? You'd say, I want the hundredfold. I want to make a difference. I want my life to count. But you got to discover where you are. You got to be honest with yourself. Where are you at on this chart? And what's holding you back from the next step? Get that next step in our classes. Okay? Be honest with yourself. It's going to take some effort to be the new you that God's calling you to be. You don't do it sitting on the bench. You don't win sitting on the bench. You don't win kicking a field goal when you can score a touchdown. But that's up to you. But I say it's time that we all develop that Peter type of faith that gets out of the boat. We develop that Gideon type faith that says... Let's go take on the army with the flashlight and a trumpet. Because God said we could. Or, or how about we have that David type of faith where we're willing to face the giant that everybody else is cowering down away from. Was David this big mighty man or was he a little boy? Was Gideon not the least of his tribe? Was Peter not a complete knucklehead? Why don't we have the David type of faith? Why don't we have the Denise Santucci type of faith that says, I'm going back and getting my masters? I don't care what anybody thinks. What about, why don't we have the Kaylee Allen type of faith that says, I can be a worship leader even if I'm 15? Who's holding me back, huh? Why don't we have the Kathy Caffey type of faith? says, I'm going to start a ministry walking around pulling a wagon and giving books to little children called Sidewalk Stories in the church. Even though my leg's in such bad shape, I don't know if I can do the walking myself. But she was walking every Thursday night. Why don't we have the Melody Smith type of faith? It says, I got it. I've had heart issues. But I'm going back into the workforce. Now she's stronger than ever. What about Melody's mama, Sandra, who felt like this year maybe her heart was ripped out of her chest because of a death in the family. But instead of hiding away, she came out and she reached out to God. And she's here at church every Sunday. And she's... She's experiencing what God intended for our mourning period to be. She's, she's healthy. God is, is doing something in Sandra's life. What about the Angie Sheffield type of faith? Who agrees that, okay, I'll be pastor's wife, but I, it wasn't my idea. What about the John Jeans type of faith? 
John James, we almost had to call 911 every time he goes from the parking lot to get to his chair. <laughs> He's got some lung issues. A couple of years ago, somebody asked us to help him move. And so I gathered up five or six guys, called them, had them all arranged. We was going to meet. And they had an 18-wheeler uh, truck. What do you call it? The trailer. Had the trailer in their driveway full of stuff. But I figured if we got five or six guys, we could knock it out. John Jeans, I'm volunteering, wanting to go. I'm like, John, come on, man. He's like, no, I want to go. I want to go. So I went and picked him up. We were on the way there. I said, John, when we get there, I want you to supervise. Don't you do nothing. You just watch. Because we ain't got time to call 911 while we're working. He said, Pastor, I've been praying and praying that I could be a blessing. And if you'll let me, I'm going to help. I said, okay, just a little bit, but don't you overdo it. The moment, I want you to sit down anytime you get tired. We got there. Make a long story short, the other five or six guys canceled on us. And it was me and John James. Now, if you're one of those five or six, I know who you are. <laughs> but John Jeans hopped up in the back of that truck and started handing me stuff. And we started working. And I'm, I'm very concerned. I'm like, John, don't overdo it, man. Just take a break. I'm trying to get him to take a break. I'm good. I prayed about this. I'm going to be a blessing. I want you to know John Jeans and me, in about two hours, we unloaded that 18-wheeler. Excuse me. We got her done. And I'm telling you, it was a miracle. I'm telling you, it was a miracle. Unless he's just been faking all this time. We need to have the kind of faith that fights for our marriage, the kind of faith that won't give up on our children, the kind of faith that will believe the best about our boss. That might be the hardest one. The kind of faith that will believe that if God called me to it, God will help me do it. If God called you to it, God will help you do it. It's faith. Football coach named George Hallis, he said nobody who ever gave his best regretted it. That's good preaching. Nobody who ever gave their best regretted it. Turn to Numbers 14. Since we're talking about football coaches, I'm a football coach at heart. I can't help it. Sometimes I get to yelling and screaming. You guys think I've lost my mind. But it's, it's, it's so because I want you to get this. Because I'm so focused on, on pleasing God and wanting you to please God that I get excited. And that's exactly what happens to Moses and Aaron. When all the, the congregation, the two million people are out there singing gloom and despair and agony on me and mad at Moses for bringing them this far, it says in Numbers 14.5, Then Moses and Aaron fell down, face down, in front of the whole Israelite assembly and gathered there. And then Joshua, son of Nun, and, so, and uh, Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, they tore their clothes. I mean, sometimes I just want to get up here and tear my clothes. They tore their clothes and they said to the entire assembly of Israelites, they said, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. 
Such is the promises of God. And if the, if the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into the land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and he will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord. And do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will devour them. Their, their protection is gone. But the Lord is with us. Look at your neighbor and say, the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. The stakes are too high, my friend. The stakes are too high. When a runner is running a race, he's carrying a baton and he's passing it to the next generation. And you got to run your race so your kids can run their race. You can't sit back and say, well, I'm not running. Like it don't matter. I don't feel like running. And, the, and, he, and your kids are waiting on you. Come on, pops. Future generations are dependent on the decisions that you make to break curses, to turn this thing around, to get running in the right direction. Angie put a saying on our refrigerator by a guy named Jim Rohn. It says, we must all suffer one of two things, the pain of discipline or the pain of regret. You're going to suffer one or the other. The pain of discipline or regret. I'm saying that to live the kind of life God's calling you to, you're going to have to be disciplined. You're going to have to put this flesh under. You're going to have to decide to walk in the spirit that God gave you. Proverbs 14, 23 says, In all labor there is profit, but mere talk only leads to poverty. Some of us are spiritually poor because we do a lot of talking, not a lot of working. Proverbs 15, 19 says, The way of the lazy is as a hedge of thorns. But the path of the upright is a highway. Now my son Joshua told you they won the state championship in football this year at Tunica Academy, single A. I was so proud of him. But now it's basketball season. And that's Josh's sport. It's one he loves the most. And he's been playing on this team for four years. In the first three years, he didn't get much playing time. He was a little small. And uh, just didn't get much playing time. He worked hard, but he just wasn't there yet. This year, they started playing. Well, Josh has grown. Josh is bigger now. Josh has been putting the time in, the pain of discipline into his life. And the first couple of games, they wasn't putting him in. They wasn't starting him or whatever again. And it was clear that this year, he's ready to start. In fact, he's one of the best players on the team. And, and I was noticing that, that they were still seeing him as a little boy. And I said, Josh, he's still acting like a little boy a little bit. He's still got that, I'm a, I, I haven't grown yet. I began to tell Josh, no, no, you don't understand, son. You're a grown man now. You're a young man. You have done what it takes to become a young man, a fine young man. And it's time your coaches start realizing that. You know how they're going to realize that? When you go whole hog. You got nothing to lose. This is your senior year. You're not going to play after this. You got nothing but you, it's, you should just have fun with it. Shoot the shot. Half the people on his team is dribbling around, just passing the ball because they're all scared if they shoot, they might miss. I said, Your team needs somebody to take the shot. And guess what? 
when they call the starting lineup before the game and the players run out, I've been waiting for four years to see this. Now my son, his name is being called. I'm telling you, they're not just calling the Joshua that he used to be. They're calling the Joshua that God has called him to be. God don't call the you that you used to be. He calls the you that you're supposed to be. Hmm. Woo, I need me a hanky. And you know what today is? Joshua's 18th birthday. Y'all give him a round of applause. I'm so proud of him. Happy birthday, Joshua. We got to believe in the team that God has assembled for us. The love of the Father, communion with the Son, the power of the Holy Spirit in you. And that's a winning combination. Can't nobody stop you. Just got to get your butt out of the way. Stop playing not to lose. Be a little bit disciplined. Seek God. Possess His love and you possess the promised land. Run valiantly. Let's pass on that baton with a winning attitude so that our children can run valiantly. A lady named M. Lackey says, the two saddest words in the whole world, if only. I've said that too many times. I've said it too many times. I don't want to ever have to say it again. I've done come too far with God. Jesus done showed himself too good to me. I can't sit on the bench. I can't sit on the sidelines and wish no more. I can't, I can't think a good game no more. I can't talk a good game no more. I got to get on the field. If I have to, if I have to, whatever I have to do. <laughs>